0: Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Brooklyn. Oh no, I said that last time. From Brooklyn. (laughs) I'm just so excited, folks. It's been such a beautiful summer, and I I just cannot complain. I just have to say that Brooklyn does not disappoint with the summer activities and the summer antics. You got a little bit of beach you can get to. You got a lot of just different things. And my guest today is kind of familiar with this. And so I'm so happy that it's so funny that When I'm looking at her, her background and mine, it's really interesting because we both have a little daylight, but or light, but it's hers is in the early part. my Anyway, I'm not going to give away too, too much. Let's just get talking. So she is a wealth management and business development professional with extensive experience in retail banking and retail fashion. A self-starter who has excelled in senior roles in customer experience, relationship management and strategy consulting in Hong Kong, New York and Ghana. She has a proven track record of spearheading initiatives that strengthen the mission, brand and financial position of enterprises, including those which are self founded. A serial entrepreneur herself, she is the founder of Being Bold, a vibrant resort wear brand focused on size inclusion and reducing textile waste. I love that. She is also founder of Global Identity Partners, a coaching and retail business consultancy. Her passion for travel has taken her to 76 countries across six continents. Again, a Stamped and sealed local citizen, folks. So although she enjoys seeing much of the world, she has a strong connection to the African continent, having visited 26 countries and frequently travels there. That's where we met. As she puts it on her Audraverse platform. This probably explains why her ideal meal would be jollof rice wrapped in a roti with some dim sum on the side. <laughs> Audra Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank yes, you. <laughs> yes, welcome. I'm so happy to host you. So let's get started. The suspense is building with the audience. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I am from the Caribbean islands of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I've been an expat living in Hong Kong for almost 12 years. So wow. I would say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so right now Hong Kong is home for me, but I feel um, local here in Hong Kong. Like I said, it's been 12 years since I've made this home. Also New York, Brooklyn and St. Vincent, but I also feel a bit local in Ghana as well. Mm. I've spent quite a lot of time there, mm-hmm. so I feel at home when I come to Ghana. So I feel like there's so many places.
0: <laughs> Which is good. I mean, that's the way I think of... A generation of people who are borderless, you know, that's why I always say a borderless mindset, because that is what the world is nowadays. We are borderless. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So what is your craft?
1: Yeah, so I am the founder of Beam Bold, and we are a vibrant fashion brand for women and girls. So I focus on size, inclusion, and reducing textile waste. So again, the focus is on you know doing a lot of customization. So I'm diverting waste from the landfill, but creating pieces that are vibrant and just happy colors that evokes joy. So that's my brand, which is a career transition from banking, where I spent most of my career, and, you know, took a career break and I decided to follow my passion after a solo journey across Africa by road. So that's mm. my journey. Yes. <laughs> I traveled across Africa for six months, but I've been traveling across the continent since 2010. But 2017, I spent six months and travel across mostly West Africa. I covered three Southern African countries during that trip. And that's where the brand idea was born. So mm. my
0: heart is after that. yeah. <laughs> I, I really like that. So then how then do you find yourself, um, let me just go straight to the why, the where. So how do you find yourself living, working, and playing in Hong Kong?
1: Yeah. So as I started traveling around the world, I knew I wanted to have an international career. I never considered Hong Kong at all. I thought at that time I was at HSBC. You know, it's a global bank. Our headquarters was in London, and I thought London would be a great transition. There's no language barrier. So again, I had a lot of exposure to expats coming into the US because I was a relationship manager and I got to do a lot of client onboarding and you know help clients with their financial, all of their financial life, really. As I started traveling, I felt like it's time for me to move abroad. I felt like I was single, it's time for me to move. And I reached out to this guy on LinkedIn, I had never met him before, but he was a black American living in Hong Kong. And this is why representation matters, right? When I saw his, he added me on LinkedIn and I reached out to him in true order fashion and said, hi, I would love to chat with you about how you transitioned from HSBC New York to Hong Kong. And he said, oh, you're in luck. I'm in New York for two weeks. Let's meet up. And it was just a random, Wow.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) Random connection. And I had a wedding in DC. He had to see his kids in Florida. So we didn't have a chance to meet in person, but we chatted on the phone and all the preconceived notions you have about language and culture. You know, he said, Oh, you'll be fine. Everyone speak English. And, you know, he had already lived in Tokyo for a couple of years and then he was in Hong Kong for about four years. And when I saw someone again who looks like me doing this, and I felt like if he can do it, I can do it too. And that's what inspired me. And I saw a role to manage the international team at the head office at HSBC. I posted for it, had one phone interview, and they offered me their opportunity didn't even move to Hong Kong. So that was 2011. I had never been to Asia, I had already seen a bit of South America, a bit of Africa, a bit of Europe, but never ever Asia. And I packed up my entire life, furniture in tow and showed up in Hong Kong in 2011. I knew from day one, I'll be here for a very long time. Really?
0: You know, wow. Yeah. <laughs> from day one.
1: Yes. I, I went to networking events and uh-huh. met so many great people were just globally minded and I just felt like this is my place. I felt like, you know, I love the weather, you know, it was October. It's very humid in the summer, but because I hate winter so much, like yeah. I felt like I won't complain about, you know, the summer heat here, but, you know, October weather, the fall is perfect time to be in Hong Kong. And I just landed at the best time. You know, I left New York where it was already cold in October yeah. and it's cold yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the weather and, you know, I just met great people and you had people uh, just so much to do in Hong Kong. You know, So I, I'll share a bit more about why I, I love Hong Kong. But, you know, you have hiking, you have beautiful beaches. There's so much to do, which most, most people don't think of Hong Kong. Uh, you know, you think of a concrete jungle, but there's so much greenery. There's so much to do here. So I quite like it. And it's a hub to see the rest of Asia and the rest of the world as well. So, you know, so that's why I chose it to become Hong <laughs> Kong.
0: I like it. I like it. Okay. So you've been there now almost 11 years, almost 12 years. Almost 12 years. Yeah. And and so tell us a little bit more about your Hong Kong. So where exactly is your local Hong Kong? Like, what is that? What, and have you moved around? Like, have you, are you like a true, like Hong Kong? What are they? Hong kong What are they? What are they? Hong kong I guess. Hong-Konger. Hong kong Okay. 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 <laughs>
1: yeah. So I actually, well... I've, I literally just moved um, two weeks ago. I oh, wow. In, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I stayed in the same flat for 11 years, which everyone kept saying, why haven't you moved? You know? But oh, I, yeah. I like um, Wan Chai. When I first moved to Hong Kong um, in 2011, a lot of expats were living in Central or in mid-levels. And I just felt like that was more of a con- concrete jungle. Yeah. But I lived in Wan Chai because you had a bit of you know blend with locals. And again, I wanted to have an immersive experience in Hong Kong and not just be with expats. Mm -hmm. And that's why I chose. I'm still in the city center, so you know it's two stops from the city center. So yeah, I lived there for you know eleven and a half years. Yeah, now I'm staying in uh, Causeway Bay at the moment. So,
0: what do you call it, Cause Bay? Causeway Bay. Causeway Bay. Bay. Oh, okay. And then the first place was Wan Chai. Wan Chai. Wan Chai.
1: It's like a 10-minute walk away. So uh-huh. yeah, I, I it's, like I said, it's city center still. It's on Hong Kong Islands. Most people don't realize Hong Kong, it's 200 and something islands. But obviously, a lot of the expats are on Hong Kong Island, which is like the main island. And then you have Kowloon side, which is across, kind of like going to Brooklyn from Manhattan. And um, yes. we have a lot of, you know, smaller islands where you can, you know, go to the beaches and, you know, just kind of hang out. So I quite like spending time at the beach and, you know, I yeah. love camping. Okay. So I love going camping. I have proper camping gear and spend, you know, sometimes like a few days at the at the beach. Wake up to you know the sounds of crashing waves. Like I just love you know camping. Everyone kept saying, "What are you doing at camping?" And I said, "I, I love it. I mean, it's very peaceful. I'm in mean, nature. I really yeah. enjoy it." So. Yeah,
0: I do too. Actually, <laughs> I, yeah, I do too. It's yeah, it's um. I've never done beach camping. I've only done like mountain wilderness, but I can imagine the beach is as nice
1: it is it is we have really great photos or uh, videos of like the sunrise like i really have nice. really enjoyed it you know so it's a great experience yeah. okay
0: okay so it is summer there now too right it is it is, yes, it is. Yes, so we it have is. the same seasons as
1: the u.s it stays warmer a bit later so it will start getting a bit cooler in november mm-hmm. and we have very short winters winters are not that cold like yep. you know it's kind of spring weather. We probably have like one week where it drops a little bit, but you know, the weather in Hong Kong is amazing. So. Okay.
0: You know, it's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's let's go back across the oceans. Yeah. And and let's let's get a sense of the Audrey that is an island uh, island lady and how growing up, you know, you were in the islands and in Brooklyn and then kind of became this global person. Tell us more about your inspiration, where you're from, what your background's like.
1: Sure. So as I mentioned, I was born in St. Vincent and the Grenadines and grew up there until I was 13. So my I grew up with my grandmother who was a seamstress. And Mm -hmm. so I've always loved fashion, but Mm -hmm. I guess that's where it came from. I grew up with lots of colorful fabric everywhere. There are lots of Sketchbooks everywhere. Really? And, um, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah And my grandma actually also had a sewing school where she taught the local ladies how to sew. Mm-hmm. So I just grew up around that. So I've always loved fashion. Like I redesign things. I love things all the time. And I moved to New York at 13. And literally, like a few years later, I started working for a few American fashion brands. So again, I've always oh. loved fashion. Yes. Okay. I've worked for brands like Ken of Cole, Express, Our Pastel. So I did that while I was studying. So, you know, in high school. University, I you know, worked in you know in, for a few brands, and then I've always loved fashion. But everyone makes you feel like fashion is not a career. They tell you you need to be a lawyer, a banker, doctor, choose a serious career path, right? I'm sure you, you can relate to this. And yes, I studied finance, business management, and finance for my undergrad, and then you know started a career in banking. So you know started off with um, Chase Bank. I literally worked my way up from a teller to VP level in a couple of years, but in wow. banking. So yeah, I started Impressive. with Chase. And then, uh, thank you. <laughs> and then HSBC recruited me for their management training program. So I rotated across the different departments of the bank, credit, trade service, business lending. And because I truly love people, I love connecting, I became a relationship manager for high net worth clients. Mm. So again, you know, I had clients all around the world. So obviously, you know, a lot of them had moved to the US, but we I had a lot of international clients as well. So I handled all aspects of their financial life. I was fully licensed. I handled investment, insurance, you know, client onboarding, lending, you know, mortgages, just about everything. So I was the point of contact for clients. So I did that, you know, for almost six years. I started off in Park Slope in Brooklyn. My first year as a relationship manager, I was like, uh, I think I finished the fourth out of like 35 RMs and got promoted to, you know, to Manhattan. So I moved to Union Square. And then to the meatpacking district, and where I was promoted to a senior relationship manager and to a VP level, you know, with the bank. So, um, yeah, it was a really great experience for me. And, but I felt like after a while, I can close my eyes and do my job. Like, I felt like I wasn't challenged. I was essentially in the same role, but, you know, kept yeah. being moved within market. markets. So I felt like, okay, it was time for change. Like, what else, you know, where, what's next? Right. And that's when I started exploring international opportunities.
0: Mm, mm, okay. 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 So, when you're being this banker, are you also side hustling a little bit? like is that kind of what was going on in the background?
1: yeah i've always I've, I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. Like, I remember you know even back in the Caribbean, we used organize like runaway show and fashion you know events like since I was you know much younger yeah. I've always been a connector and got people together yeah. and um yeah, so I've done quite a bit like I rented out flats and I rented the rooms like I've done so many since I was a teenager I've, I've been doing this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, yeah. all right. So you've spent this career in banking. Now you've found yourself in Hong Kong. You've traveled around. So tell us a little bit more about. So you just seem very adventurous, and uh, I think you too have a birthday coming up next week.
1: Yes, yeah, next week. Leo. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. August. Wait. What's your
0: day? 19. Okay, I am the tenth. Yes yes, yes, yes. I always remember yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So just kind of in that the 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 mind of the Leo with the flare and the sun and the, all that wonderful just energy that we have. I'm curious about then moving to Hong Kong and kind of finding an entrepreneurial spirit there? Because that's, it's another country, right? It's easy to do it at home, right? In the U.S., et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of being an entrepreneur in another country, how does that happen and how does that work?
1: Right. So I took a career break. So I led the team here in Hong Kong uh, for two years. Uh, We built an international team from scratch where we were looking after the expats in Hong Kong. So these are clients who have at least a million Hong Kong and above. So we handle, you know, I led that team that handled client onboarding, mortgages, um, credit cards, all of that, um, you know, all of those products. Like I led that team. But I did that for two years. And I've always wanted to do an MBA. I felt like at that point, I felt like I wanted to make an impact. I felt like, you know, I was telling wealthy people what to do with their money, but I kept saying that I feel like there's more. I feel like I could be doing more. And then I started exploring an MBA. I I explored, you know, I met with the head of missions at INSEAD, I met with the team here at HKUST. And I thought, you know what, maybe it's time for me to take a break and, you know, pursue an MBA full time. And I applied and initially I applied as a part time applicant. And I thought I'll continue working and, you know, I'll, I'll do the MBA on the side. And then when I got in well, midway through application, I just thought, you know what? No, I will do a full time program and take that break, right? Okay. And I did. And, <laughs> and I only applied to one MBA program. I only applied to HKUST. I got in. And um, so I started there, that was 2013. And I did a one year in Hong Kong and I had the summer off. And, you know, all of my classmates that were looking to, you know, to apply at the big banks for internship. And I felt like I had already had a lot of banking experience and I already started traveling in Africa. I had done, you know, quite a bit of countries in East Africa from Kenya, you know, all the way down to South Africa, you know, back in um, 2012. But at that point, I had done a course on China-Africa relations, and I felt like I wanted to understand how business is done in Africa. Everyone kept talking about the growth in Africa. And like I said, this is 2014. And I felt like it's time for me to, you know, to go back to the continent. I felt like I could go back to the bank and, you know, any of the banks and and get a role. But I felt like I'm very curious about Africa, and I want to go, go there and understand how business is done. So I went on, I saw a program on CNN on African Voices. And I saw a Canadian lady and I just reached out to her and again in true order fashion. I said, hi, I'm an MPA student. I would love to help you with business development, business strategy. Ah, I a, yeah, uh-huh. I booked a one-way flight to Ghana, which they gave me such a tough time at the airport. They were like, you cannot have a one-way flight to Ghana. I said, guys, I'm not staying. like I'm just going for the summer. But I, I, I wanted to keep my options open, you know, so, so travel across the continent before I headed back to Hong Kong. And yeah, so then I, like I said, I booked that one-way flight. I ended up not working with this lady because she got... I selected for the YALI program, so she ah, went to Ah, okay,
0: okay, okay. Wow, okay yeah. Yeah. And then
1: you know, I came there and, you know, networked and, you know, met a few people and, you know, worked for a couple of companies while I was there and then traveled around the region. Like, I, I traveled to uh, Senegal and then to Ethiopia on my way back, and then I exchanged at London Business School. So I was at LBS for half a year. I have Mm. a lot of status from both universities and came back to Hong Kong. And two days after graduation, I went back to Africa. I felt like, you know, my heart is on the continent. I need to figure out what can I do between Asia and Africa. And I traveled, you know, at that point I did Nigeria. I went to Kenya again. And again, just trying to connect with people on the continent and figure out, you know, what can I do in Asia that benefits the continent? And that's when I set up my first business. And so that was Global Identity Partners. I was helping a lot of Clients with sourcing products from China, you know, just connecting suppliers with businesses on the continent. So I was doing that for a while, but it it, it was very time consuming. And because it was me by myself doing it, I was spending a lot of time doing research and a lot of the projects not come to fruition and again it was me doing free research i felt like i needed to either change the business model and that's what led me to going back to the continent spending six months you know traveling across the continent.
0: Mm, okay got it got it got it so (laughs) so i mean you you bring up a very good point in terms of how to develop business to be profitable in africa right like because i think that is one of the challenges that many people who are trying to find a new home in Africa face. It's like, well, how do I actually come there and and make money? So yeah. So you are, you are kind of in that value chain of like really trying to kind of figure that out. So in your working and, and analyzing businesses, what would you say was kind of the number one challenge that these companies were facing and trying to try to build themselves and and get started or grow?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I met with quite a few companies and a lot, well, one of the challenge, obviously, a lot of um, production was done out of the continent, right? So trying to source, you know, products, you know, whether from China or other countries, just having the right connection, uh, you know, being able to facilitate trade, like in terms of, you know, banking transaction, you know, trans transmitting, you know, currency across borders.
0: Right, just the functions. Mm. Exactly.
1: So these are things I was able to facilitate in terms of, you know, helping them be that middleman to help them, you know, find a supplier, vet the process uh, to make sure that, you know, these legitimate companies, like I heard so many stories about, you know, sending payments and never receiving their products Mm. and stuff like that. So I wanted to be that, that middleman between that will help you know facilitate the process for them. And like I said, I did that for a little while. And then I came back and I said, you know what, I need to find, you know, companies who really need someone on the ground and you know have the the assets to be able to, you know, to hire me to do that. And that's why I came back and end of 2016, I came back and I spent six months and I traveled across, um, you know, West, mostly West Africa. I covered also Angola, Namibia and Botswana as well, doing that trip. You know, I, I covered most of West Africa solo and by road. And I stayed with local families every step along the way. I covered 15 new countries while I was there. Wow. Yeah. And that was a life-changing journey. And that's imagine. where my brand idea was born. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. So first of all, how did you determine that the road was the best way to make this journey? Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Was it, yeah, I mean. So that's, it's a big
1: challenge in Africa connectivity between the countries uh by flight one is very expensive and some places like, you have to travel to the middle east and to come back to you know c- uh countries in africa so i felt like you know what like why not go by road and you know uh, so i learned about the se- um the set class you know like mm-hmm. the cars that you hear. and i learned of, you know so again i took vans you know buses I even took a motorbike with my suitcase on the back from Guinea to Guinea-Bissau for seven hours. And again,
0: yeah. <laughs> what? seven hours on a motorbike. Yes, yes, yes. It oh, was, my gosh. I, I, <laughs> wow, that's incredible. <laughs> it
1: was a journey. Yeah, but I, I knew local people in every country. Everyone kept saying, how do you know so many people? But I'm a connector. I love sure. keeping in touch people yeah. and I think of the countries I wanted to go to and I think well, who do I know there or who do I know who's from there my friends would say oh my mom is there my aunt is here you can stay with us I'm happy to host you and yeah mm-hmm. so every country I went to I got to see it from a local perspective right so like I said it was truly truly a life-changing journey and like I said in, in Ghana that's where the brand idea was born I met a girl uh, who was traveling in Ghana and I said to her I really love your dress she was wearing a beautiful yellow dress and she said to me I own nothing black I said what do you mean she said, there's nothing black in my wardrobe not a black shoe not a black purse absolutely nothing black and i said to her i really love color i've always you know i feel like i come alive in color but when i was in banking i felt like i had to conform to the corporate world that it was black or gray or navy and i just said someone should create a brand for people who love color and again i know there are brands like benetton that you know focus around sensitive around color but i felt like it wasn't what i imagined in terms of like very flowy pieces for holiday and I just thought someone should do it, but I didn't know then that that someone would be me, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, wow. Um, we- <laughs> okay, so so you got your inspiration. So you take this epic road trip, and you've gone to all of these countries that have these really rich textile histories. So I'm I'm assuming that was a little bit of kind of, you know, and you're thinking like, how do I think about which textiles to use? How do I think about, you know, the dyeing, all those techniques, right? And so you're coming from banking, but now, and you, but you have fashion in your background. So then you get back to Hong Kong and you're thinking, okay, I'm by the factory to the world. (laughs) So, so, and, and so you're not a designer, but you definitely are stylish. So then how, how, so the idea came to you, how did you make Manifest?
1: Right. So as I traveled throughout the continent, I keep, I kept buying fabric and I was just making things. I'll find local tailors. Like I remember in Gambia, I I met a lady and, you know, she was a seamstress. And again, every country I would just buy fabric and say, oh, I have an idea because you made this for me. Right. And then I started posting a bit more because I, I felt like that journey, I didn't post much because I wanted to have, you know, an experience where I can have conversation, not feel like I'm intruding in someone's face with a camera. I wanted to have private conversation. So I didn't really share much. And then a lot of people come saying, oh, you're doing a disservice because you're not really sharing your journey, you know, across the continent. And again, I want more people to travel to Africa. And I felt like the first step in investing in the continent is traveling there and connecting with the people and understanding what the gaps are, you know, how to, you know, make an impact on the continent. So I felt like, okay, I've been, you know, seeing so many countries and I want to, you know, inspire more people to, to come to the continent. Why not share a bit more of the journey? So that's when I started posting a, a bit more and then and people started responding to the pieces I will, I will share. And I came back and I just thought, you know what? Let me explore this. So I went into Sham Shui Po, which is the garment district of Hong Kong, and I just started, you know, feeling different fabric. I knew I wanted, again, I, I, I like the, the vibrancy of the Ankara, but for me, I wanted something a bit more flowy and, you know, with a softer touch. So I was trying to figure out, you know, what fabric I will use. And I met a lady in, in, in the market. I said, oh, can you help me translate? Because in that area, some of the local shop owners didn't really speak much English. So I wanted her to help me. And we started chatting. I said, oh, I'm thinking of starting a brand. Do you know a factory I can reach out to? And she gave me one contact in, in China. And I showed up there literally with a translation app because I don't speak Mandarin at all. Like I can say Cantonese phrases because in Hong Kong, you know, the, the language is uh, Cantonese. is mostly spoken here. Like a lot of people speak Mandarin as well. But in mainland, it's Mandarin, right? So I literally showed up with a translation app. I got on a train to North Shenzhen and I showed up at a factory and I had four pieces of fabric. You know, I knew from day one, I wanted, these are the brand colors. And I met this guy and, you know, he was running a factory there, Stanley. And he said, oh, where are you from? I said, I'm from the Caribbean. He said, I lived in the Caribbean. I set up a denim factory in Haiti 30 years what? ago. What? exactly. <laughs> Wow. I was so sure Exactly. He said he met his ex-wife there. They're still in the Dominican, Dominican Republic. And, you know, we totally connected. And, you know, Stanley believed in me from day one. I said, this is my idea. I'm looking to, you know, develop some original prints. And, you know, so this is what I'm looking to do. And he said, oh, I'm happy to help you. So this is how my first production was done there with Stanley. And, you know, so he's a huge part of the brand journey, which, you know, most recently he passed, um you know, from cancer. Oh, yeah. And so the next collection would be called the Stanley Collection because because, you know it was such a huge part of the brand you know but like I said Stanley held my hand you know, throughout the entire process and I came back to Hong Kong I had a pop-up event um, so this is November 2018 I launched you know the brand so from day one I knew I wanted to be size and height inclusive but I, I didn't have a lot of knowledge around the impact of textile waste because of my sourcing days a friend in Ghana connected me with one of her friends in South Africa who was doing a project on textile waste in Africa and yeah and this is I was already working on the brand, but I hadn't launched yet. I was still in the research phases of you know, figuring out, you know, fabric and all that stuff. And I had this conversation with this girl and she said, oh, can you help us source machinery to deal with the textile waste problem in Africa? So, again, I knew there was a lot of waste mm-hmm. because of fast fashion, but I, I didn't realize how large, you know, the impact. And I started doing more research on the East African countries that came together to ban secondhand clothes. Because, again, a lot of people think that, you know, they're donating clothing and it goes to people who need it, but a majority of this gets sold in bales and the people on the continent don't know what they're getting until they open the bales and more than 40, 50% of it goes to the landfill, right? And and African countries cannot export their products if they don't accept the secondhand clothes, which is not their waste, right? So this triggered me. So I felt like I've loved the continent. I stayed with local families every step along the way. And I felt like they were dumping this clothing in my backyard, so I said, how do mm-hmm. I make a different design mm-hmm. so the pieces don't end up in the landfill? So this was my motivation from, you know, from day one. I felt like, okay, how do I you know, design with this in mind so you increase the life of the pieces? But instead of mass producing or having you know a lot of inventory, I thought if I can customize pieces where it's personalized to you, as your perfect size, your perfect length, but it also allows you to adjust it if you gain or lose weight. I thought this was one way of diverting the clothing waste from going to Africa. And
0: that's what I did, you know? Nice. nice. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a, we we have a kinship in that regard because my first, so when I was deciding to go to Africa and, and live in Ghana, the first thing I did was start to kind of explore, what can I do? That's a small business, you know, just quick, quick, quick. And at, at the time I had a ton of friends who were having kids. So I was looking at the little dresses in the markets and, you know, they're cheapy or whatever i was like these are cute though i could actually you know create a brand so i did create a brand called beck and b which means yeah which means um so it's beck and b it's it's dresses that grow with your girl and so similarly the idea is that that this is a dress so basically the the bodice is is the elastic kind of bodice my favorite type of dress from my childhood and then different different sleeves like, you know, straps, ties, that kind of thing and different skirts. So that this with the same concept of like, you know, kids grow so fast, you'll buy something and they can't wear it. So this is a dress that could literally take you from being an infant at least to three. And then from there on. So I I feel you on that. And I kudos to you for, you know, making this custom idea for adults, because I was like, well, what do you have for adults? I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I just you want the that. little girls to be happy, you know, yeah. that's it. And so, and it really, it warmed my heart to see see like girls put the dresses on and spin yes and yes, so yes. that's a, that's one of the features of my, i of your dresses they're so flowy they're spin and so so yeah i love that
1: so nice to see the kids you know yeah, yeah
0: yeah so you you've had some measure of success because you actually were at fashion week here in new york right yes yes so shortly after Uh-oh. launching the collection
1: i, know, I yeah. received an email we love your brand can you come to new york for fashion week So I I did the runway with Flying Solo, which was um, a collective of independent designers. Nice. And that was February 2019. I I showcased in New York. i got a few magazine features, came back and I launched the kids collection because I initially started off with just adults. And then a lot of moms started asking, can you make matching pieces for kids? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought, okay, let's explore this. And then so I'm doing matching mommy and me, but again, all vibrant colors. And the the premise is that you can always mix and match the prints with the colors. So whatever uh, prints that I introduce, uh-huh. it always will have an aspect of you know blue, green, yellow, orange, which are the brand colors. And yes. I've added white recently. Yeah. So the goal is to have colors that you can you know interchange with each other. Even the the solid colors. A lot of people are asking, can you do pink? Can you do purple? I said no. I said we're sticking to the brand <laughs> colors. <laughs> right. What's one way of producing waste, right? Because yeah. You don't have
0: it's true. Right. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 Right.
1: That's why i've done that so and, yeah so okay, and between I'm, those
0: colors everyone can find a color that exactly, works for them
1: exactly for every skin tone right so, so that's what the the features and then i do petite short regular and tall but so okay. based on your heights we have you know off the rack pieces and those you know um ah, heights so okay. five feet uh, short is five four, regular is five eight, and tall is six feet. But if you're in between, within two weeks, we can customize based on your height and size and everything. We have adjustable elastic on the skirt, so the waistband is flat on the front, but the back has the adjustable elastic. I don't know if you know the kids' elastic that has the buttonholes all the way across. Yep. So you can actually adjust it. So I have to customize that for adults as well. So nice. it's in the back of the band. So everything goes up to the next size. So so this is my goal is to inspire more people to buy less, buy better quality products that last for a long time instead of having things that you're know, discarding and, you know, goes to the landfills, especially in Africa. My goal is to divert waste from there.
0: Right, nice. So while we're on that topic, where can we find Beam Bold?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at beambold.com. So that's beam as in beam of light, B-E-A-M. And bold. So it's a play on being bold. Like, what are you wearing? It's beam bold. So it's beambold.com. And then you can find us on Instagram at beam underscore bold.
0: Okay. Okay, nice. So I probably should have asked this when you're talking about all these world travels, but I was so intrigued with like the story of the fashion. So let's take a step back and I want to ask you about glocal speak. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experiences and why or how you come to value it as glocal speak.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, it means thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> which the locals in, in Cantonese, so the locals, they, you know, when I they're so shocked because they claim my pronunciation is really, really good.
0: It sounded but really I, good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, but I, I express gratitude. And, you know, with everything I do, when I travel, I travel with thank you cards because I always meet kind strangers who go above and beyond to extend their self. And yeah, so you know, gratitude is something I express all the time. So when I learn Ngoy, thank you. It's thank you very much. You know, so it's not just thank you. People say Ngoy, which is just thank you, but Ngoy Sai, thank you very much. And um, so I say that quite often, you know. And I say "moisi" a lot, which you know, it's like you say "excuse me" or oh, "sorry." But I think it, because in Caribbean culture we apologize a lot, so I, I, I say that quite often, you know. Moisi, uh, moisi," mm. <laughs> you know,
0: like it's also "excuse me," but it's you know sure. it's
1: saying like
0: All right, "yeah." <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So mm-hmm. have you? So have you taken Cantonese lessons? Do you speak I a have, little bit? Yeah. I
1: have. Like I said, I can just say a few words and uh-huh. phrases, but most people speak English. Again, it was a British colony until 1997. so You really don't need Cantonese, but it's good to, you know, to learn, you know, certain things, you know, when I go to the markets, uh, you know, like or- ordering like, you know, seafood because I-, I don't eat meat anymore. So, yeah, it's just be able to, you know, to, to ask for certain things. And, you know, especially in certain places where they don't really speak a lot of English, it's good to, to know a few words. But, um, you know, you can totally get by with not, without speaking Cantonese at all.
0: Right, right, so. right. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's always nice to know a few words. So that yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They get really excited. The locals yes. get so excited, especially when I say a few words and they claim my pronunciation is really good. And then they start speaking to me in Cantonese. Means- and I say, oh. Uh, I'm just like, so so you're just like, only a little, like, you know. But they were happy for the taste.
0: (laughs) Yeah. They get so excited. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. So say it again. Okay. I think I I could. Well, so my thing is, I like to sing song every language, right? So if there's not a sing song in it, then I might, I think I have a little bit of a challenge. So, like anything that's sing songy, I can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right, so right. Exactly. Okay. So we were talking about fashion and what that business is like and, and getting to production. So now you're in this business now for a few years and, and then COVID happens. So, so tell us about your experience because you were actually in Asia, you know, closer, and and I, I I remember there were a lot of lockdowns for a long time. So tell us how how it was being an expat, being in Asia at the time, and Ch- I mean, you know, Hong Kong, China, that region for for that time, and then coming out of it. How how was that experience?
1: So I had returned to Hong Kong in January 2020. I was in Ghana. The year of Return, so I did a runway show there. Oh, came back, okay. And, and yeah, I did um uh, Fashion Connect Africa, which was you know a show organized, I think, by the government for the Year of Return. And um, so it was really amazing because it was a full circle moment because that's where the brand idea was born. Have my first runway show on the continent, being Ghana, it was really fulfilling. And you know, so I came back and uh, literally within a week of coming back from Ghana, uh, that was around Chinese New Year. Yeah, I was supposed to go back to head back to China. And then this is when, you know, the news started breaking about COVID. And so I couldn't go back to China and everything shut down, but I thought, okay, what could we do from Hong Kong? at the time, the factory that I was working with, it was a new factory. Uh, The founders were based in Hong Kong, um, but it was factory in in Dongguan. I had met with them uh, right before going to Ghana because the problem I had, a lot of my production was done in a sample room because I'm doing a lot mm, of yep, yep. You know, Customers place an order within two weeks, I customize it, right? So instead of using larger factories, I use very small production houses, right? And because of that, I had a, quite a bit of orders before I left for Ghana. I had a, quite a few pop-ups and then I needed to produce pieces for the models. So again, I had about 80 pieces that needed to be done within three weeks because I was traveling to Ghana. So the sample room just didn't have the capacity to produce it. So someone rec- uh, recommended a new factory in Dongguan. I went there, I met with them. This was around the time of the protest. So we mm. couldn't get products shipped into Hong Kong. I had to keep crossing the border almost every day to mm. collect my, my packages and then ship them out. So it was a lot happening. But, you know, you thought you go there, you build relationships with people, eat with them. And then you didn't, you wouldn't think that, you know, they would do something like this. But what happened is I lost everything. I had used that new factory and they stole all of my fabric. Like 500 (gasps) meters of fabric, everything was gone. Yeah. So I reached wow. out to them. Saying, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. So 2020 was the toughest year of my life. Everyone kept saying, how are you still smiling? I literally rented out my bedrooms. I said, whatever it takes to start again, I have to find a way to start over. They said to me, we don't know what happened to your fabric. I think it's finished. I sent them all the behind the scenes photos of all the fabric. I literally had just bought fabric before I moved. School. I left for Ghana wow. and they said, uh, eventually they blocked me. So it was a t- 2020 wow. was the year of my life. But when you find something that you're passionate about, yeah. giving up is not an option. Yeah. I had clients who out to me. One lady, she said, my husband lost his job. We're moving back to Italy. But can I have a matching rainbow skirt for my daughter before I go? So these are customs that make me know yeah. that giving up is not an option. And I was very transparent w- with my clients. Yeah. I let them know. The good thing is I had one roll of each of the, the printed fabric at the fabric suppliers at least I had the prints but I had no more solid colors sure and when clients will make an order I was very transparent I said okay we have the prints but no solid and this is what transpired and they were like we're happy to wait so oh, so many customers yeah. reordered ordered and they yeah. understood and that's how I got things up and running again it was like I said a tough tough journey and the borders was, were closed between Hong Kong and China for three years I literally went back for the first time in March of 2023 we hadn't you know been able to go at all for three years so that's why like i said they took advantage of that so the bottleneck for me was now that a lot of the smaller factories closed down i had no one to handle production i even tried to move production to hong kong it just mm-hmm. didn't work out the price point it just didn't work because again i wanted to keep the price point reasonable sure but now hired staff in china So I have a full time sewer. I have a pattern maker in China Mm -hmm. so um, I can keep production going and uh, continue with customization and work on product development, and all that stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I needed to get back there and, you know, to look after my staff and figure out, you know, um, facilities and stuff like that and, you know, create new partnerships with new suppliers and stuff like that. So, again, it's so much happening, but it's been me by myself running the entire operations like I'm handling production quality control design social media so I've had a few interns who came in to help uh, but I'm now at the point where a lot of people are reaching out to me uh, asking you know uh, I guess they're looking to invest in the brand I haven't taken on any investment at all. So I'm still, you know, trying to figure out what's the way forward with that and what that would look like. Now that I'm looking to go into new markets, like I've done a pop up in Singapore, which went really, really well, and I think Singapore is a great market as well. It's warm all year round there, so I'm going back in November for a huge event called Boutique Fair. They have it twice a year. So again, in the next, I'm trying to get into Australia. So moving across, mm. you know, global, you know, trying to find stockers in the U.S. as well. Uh, So, yeah, so it's a lot to be done, but, you know, just working on a strategy for distribution uh, globally at the moment.
0: Right, right, right. So do you find that having more of a boutique brand is to your advantage now in particular?
1: Yes, I I think um, because I I can give the, the one on one attention or the service to the clients. Again, service means a lot to me. I love connecting with clients. Like one of my favorite things to do is pop ups. Right. And again, if you know we can scale and, and we do have the ability to scale because a lot of pieces are adjustable again, and we have so many options. So there's a company in, in, in Europe who recently reached out to me and said, Oh, we're a distributor, we love your brand, we can help you distribute your products in, in Europe. But again, for me, it's finding the right partners uh, to be able to scale. But I think you know, working with just doing pop-ups at the moment, I'm I'm now uh, trying to have like a showroom where people can actually come and see what's styles and I can take the measurements and, you know, where, you know, they know what style suits their, their body shape and stuff like that. So this touch point is very important, but I felt like, you know, I wanted to kind of take the steps to be able, be, be able to understand my clients, because again, my ideal clients are girl moms. So which are women who have kids, uh, girls who are, you know, under seven, I would say that's when you do the, the matching pieces and then the women who face challenges, finding their size and, and length. Right. So whether society tell you you're too tall, you're too short, you're too curvy, these are my ideal customers. Yes, we have, you know, pieces for regular, you know, people who are average heights or, you know, sizes, but for me, my ideal customers are those people whose pain points we cannot find clothing, we cannot walk into a shop and find pieces that I that I love. And you know, that was one of my pain points as well. Like I'm five nine and finding a maxi dress in Asia has been a challenge. And I wanted Mm. women to, you know, to be able to sort that, you Mm -hmm, know? And mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why I launched Being Bold.
0: Yeah. You know, I would say, you know, what I love about being in Ghana and you know, when I come back, like most of my wardrobe is custom. Yes, <laughs> like and even now, most of my wardrobe because I live this endless summer lifestyle. So, so most of my dresses, I come and people are like, oh, that's great. Where'd you? this uh, made for me. Yep, so exactly. the idea of having custom clothing is also just this awesome experience because you just feel so unique. And I and I took it for granted because my mother, my mother also. Part of my inspiration for being in fashion was my mother, she would sew. So she sewed dresses and we had the matchy, matchy dresses nice. um growing up. And she, you know, had a whole sewing room and all that stuff. And so just the the culture of being in that kind of environment just kind of is is just empowering, I think so, especially for women. So I, I think you're doing, you're definitely on the right track and for little girls to to experience that. I think that was part of what was stuck in me was that as a little girl, I had dresses that were made just for me as well. Right. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when you think about the next five years for you, and then I'll get to my mindset hack, the next five <laughs> years for you, what, what does it look like for being bold? What does it look like for your global partners?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the goal is to expand globally for the brand, you know, to hire a few people to be able to help me with social media, you know, uh, strategies. So again, I have a lot of experience in so many different areas, but I felt like I can focus more on the storytelling for the brand and partnerships and business development and, you know, and have other people help with different aspects of the business. Right. So I don't need to wear every single hat in the business. So again, like I said, I've, I've been approached by quite a few people. It's been quite overwhelming asking about, you know, investing in the brand. So I'm now creating a pitch deck. I'm, you know, trying to figure out the best, um, the right fit in terms of investors to be able to and, you know, get into the next, get into global markets. So that's what I'm exploring at the moment. And um, as I mentioned, expanding into Singapore, we have a, one a full-time stocker there, but finding, you know, additional locations. We're going live on a, a sustainable fashion platform called Circular. It's an Australian-based uh, platform. You know, I think the founder was based in Hong Kong for a while, and they've raised capital in, in Silicon Valley, so they have quite a bit of following in, in California as well. So it'll be great, to uh, you know, to partner with other brands that are, you know, doing really great things and focus on sustainability, right? We've just launched on a platform called Something Good in Singapore as well. You know, so that's, um, you know, focus on fashion and jewelry. And yeah, so the goal is to, you know, scale, get, you know, continue getting feedback. I'm looking for artists to collaborate with on new prints. Specifically, I would love, you know, African or Caribbean artists to help me design new prints that incorporate the brand colors because I do digital printing for all of the fabrics less water and energy waste. Uh, So it was important, you know, to have the right partners to collaborate because I want the pieces to feel like wearable art, right? It's just when you walk, you glide, you know, and you just see the flowy pieces and, you know, finding the right partners to collaborate with, to design prints and looking at taking on some interns at the moment as well, whether, you know, social media, journalism students, because I definitely would like, love to write more about the impact textile waste and share the brand journey. So, um, you know, finding students who need the work experience and where I can mentor them and, you know, give them the opportunity to share more and, you know, showcase their skills as well. So that's where I am at the moment.
0: Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I'm curious about the textile waste piece of the puzzle and like, what would be your, your biggest wish for fashion brands in, in that space and in that thought?
1: Right. So I definitely, well, I think brands in general should buy, um, you know, to produce less. Right. Because, again, you know, they produce a huge in huge quantities because the cost is much lower. But no one's really thinking about the impact of the people who are actually on the continent who have to deal with, you know, the clothing going to the landfill or going ended up in in beaches. Right. So I, I want brands to, you know, to focus on, you know, natural fibers. And, you know not following trends you know for me I design very um timeless design that's versatile and you know can be styled many different ways and I think if brands you know uh, focus on you know creating quality products and not just what's on trend and you know how do I produce it for the, the lowest cost where you're just thinking about your margin and not thinking about the impact to the planet uh, I think this is one one of the messages I want to send like how do we buy better quality? But, you know, it, the onus on the brands produce better quality. But if we're not buying it, then, you know, uh, they will stop producing it. Right, <laughs>
0: so, right. right. So I guess it it's a truly economic challenge. You know, I guess the, the fast fashion came because similar to fast food, like what people can afford is what people are going to, what they're going to mass produce. And so I guess inequality is at the core of all of this still.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But I will say, if you save and buy one thing that lasts for a long time, instead of you know buying mul- multiple things because it's on trend and you can afford it at this price point, I, I think right. you know that's the mindset shift, right? Sure. Do I have something that lasts, you know, because my maxi skirts you can wear this 10, 20 years from now, you know, you can adjust the size if your weight changes, and you know you have to works, right? So this this is the goal to really change the mindset.
0: I I like that you brought that up because then I want to ask you about your own mindset hack. (laughs) So I, I ask you to share your favorite and innovative mindset hack. Now, this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine
1: right so i've created a love method because i want to inspire more people to do what they love and do it with love and uh, (laughs) and, um, yeah so love is an acronym that i've created so l means leverage your network if you have an idea or something you want to start You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's so many people who've done it before you. Who is in your network who you can reach out to? Friends of friends, family of friends, who can help you reduce the amount of steps to get to that place, right? So you start with your network. Always overcome the fear. Too many people are too afraid to get started, or other people project their fear onto you, so you just don't get started. So you have to overcome that fear to get started. And V is validate the idea, which is starting small. I literally launched the brand with five items and iterated, right? A lot of expats wanted larger sizes and the locals were still too short and added the, the petite length. So again, do you have a viable product that people actually want to buy, right? So e it's starting small and E is expand through partnership. How do we create strategic partnership where we both can benefit and we both can scale, you know, and grow together. So that's my love method. I said, do what you love, but do it with love. I love
0: that, and I love love. Love is one of my favorite words and my favorite feeling. It's just, you know, it's it's just that that thing. So wow, I like that the love method. Hey, leverage, overcome, validate, Mm -hmm. and expand through partnership. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice, (laughs) nice, nice. So we've we've talked a little bit about what you do in your leisure, camping, and and kind of getting around town and travel, but. You know, aside from the beam bold Audra, who is yes. Audra when she's not working, you know? So we like to ask a few questions about what do you do in your time? So are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? Or and so what are some of your favorite reads, watches or listens?
1: Yes, I'm a avid reader but right now I've been listening to more audiobooks. Oh, okay. I'm a huge fan of Audible. Yep, me too. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really watch, um, I don't really have the time to watch any series or anything like that. But one of my favorite books is The Big the big Leap. The Big Leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's by um uh, Gay Hendricks. And mm-hmm. it really tells you to focus on your areas of, ex- of um, genius, right? So it, it talks about, you know, you have areas of incompetence, areas of competence and areas of excellence. So it's really honing in on, you know, the things that the areas where, you know, you excel, right? how, where you come alive, like, you know, so focus on those areas instead of, there's so many people in jobs that they hate, right? And everyone tell me, I, I'm, I'm the advocate for everyone quitting their jobs, but no, it's like, do you find something, what do you find enjoyable that you can, it doesn't feel like work, right? You can do this all day long and it doesn't feel like work. So it's really focusing on those areas. And even if you have a nine to five, like, you know, do you get up early, you know, two hours a day or, you know, go to bed a bit later so you can focus on something you're really passionate about right Mm -hmm. so that's why i really love the book it really you know teaches you about the different areas and really understanding yourself right what do you enjoy right so i really really love that
0: book you know nice the big leap Um, okay the big
1: leap yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) so are you a multiple listener at a time or oh
1: yeah 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 Yeah, i'm on credits all the time like i I, now i have a tab on um an instagram where people recommend books and Ah. i have a book um save so when i save I have different tabs and one of them is books. And when ah, people recommend books, okay. I'm always putting them into my save folders okay. and go back and purchase them. But yeah, I really, I read um, um Building a Story brand recently and, you know, I love storytelling and I feel like it's such a natural thing that I do. Like I meet people, I connect and I want to share stories and I'm now focusing on, you know, sharing a bit more of the brand story, um, you know, telling it because I felt like I, I haven't, I've had my head down really keeping keeping the brand alive and I feel like, for me to start you know sharing more of the brand journey and you know trying to inspire more people so you know, amplify my voice about the things I'm passionate about. So that's one of the books that I, I like as well, is building a story friend
0: Nice, nice, nice. Those are great, <laughs> great, great recommendations, particularly for our entrepreneurs in the audience. Wow. This has been so much fun. I feel like it's just like flown by, right? No. <laughs> <This is it. laughs> yeah. Yeah. So before before we go, do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: I would love to, you know, inspire more people to find connection. I found like even, you know, doing um COVID, a lot of us were, you know, quite isolated, but for me, I got on Zoom calls. I would send everyone a link and, you know, I love connecting and I find, you know, so reach out to people who are in, you know, similar industry or, you know, people who are doing something that you aspire to do and don't be afraid. For me, the worst can happen. Someone doesn't respond, but it's okay. You reach out to someone else. So like I said, a lot of what I've done could not have been possible if I didn't have the courage to reach out to someone. And I want to inspire more people to send a message, you know, send a DM. I speak, people reach out to me all the time and I respond and I get on a call. And, you know, so I want you not to be afraid to connect, you know, uh, I think there's a lot you can learn from other people's journey, and um, you know, to get inspiration, but also to help you with, along with your journey as well. So yeah, I was,
0: yeah. And and I would would say also there's that fear because that's part of that fear, right? So people don't reach out and they don't connect, and and I think that to overcome the, the fear of rejection, because sometimes it's just the, not the right timing for certain people because people will not re- respond. So not to take quote unquote rejection personally, right? Because it's not about you, it's just basically, maybe it's just not the right time, but that not to let that discourage the idea of connecting. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great tip. I wanted to just ask you, in all of your travels in Africa, I know you love Ghana, <laughs> <laughs> but what's a, a great takeaway that you would wanna share about traveling through the regions, like you know, from west to east to south.
1: Right. So, like I said, Africa is my favorite continent. I love, you know, the people I meet. I love the food, the culture. I, I quite like, you know, just being there. I felt I, I feel at peace, at home on the continent. I want people, especially well, a lot of people, even who are living on the continent, haven't explored the continent, right? And. Again, you have all these barriers like we talked about. You know, um, the challenges of you know flying, you know, throughout the continent. But you know, just get on a bus. Like when you know, I I wrote on Ordiverse and I was writing a bit bit about my Africa journey. Someone wrote to me and said, because I read your blog, I had never left my country before, and I got on a bus and I went to the neighboring country. So again, you know, you don't know, it doesn't have to be luxurious. Um, you know, you get in a trotro, you get in, you know, in a set plus get on the bus and you know you go and explore the continent i feel like the continent has so much to offer and we just need to, you know have the courage to go and explore and, and to appreciate it right like you meet people that are, i've never seen another country in africa or i'm from this particular country but i haven't gone you know throughout the region and i i, I want to inspire you to see it's such a beautiful continent and you know we all come together explore it and then you know see how do we make an impact in countries yeah. that you know that needs it how do we reclaim
0: ourselves basically yeah Yeah. if we don't know ourselves we can't reclaim ourselves so Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Well, Audra, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for joining me. And awesome. I wish you all the best on your day. That's just starting. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> 9 here in Hong Kong. Right. So yeah. Night has fallen. Night has fallen in, in New York. So I love this. I love the 12 hour, the day night. It's just, it's just such a treat. So this is great. I would love to come and see you in Hong Kong, but I think I'm probably going to see you in Ghana before then. Probably, yes. yeah. I hope
1: to you soon, and you know I'm happy to host you when you come to
0: Hong Kong. Oh, so, yay! Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so, before yeah. we sign off, you, you already mentioned being bold. Um, where else can we find you? Is there any other any other socials that you want to share? Yes.
1: Uh, so my personal social is Audraverse, which is Audra's universe. So A U D R A V E R S E. So I have a, a, my blog is Audraverse, and also my Instagram is Audraverse, and then the brand is Bold Beam underscore Bold.
0: Nice, yeah. nice, nice, nice. All right, Global Citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at GlobalCitizensPod or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify. Leave us. So a review. It helps others find great content on the internet. And until next time, bye for now.